Just Life, a programme from Radio Maria England. Hello everybody and welcome to today's Just Life. We are joined again once again by ACN, Aid to the Church in Need, and a very warm welcome to you, John Pontifex and John Candia, who have been giving us a fantastic um, overview of their new report, Persecuted and Forgotten, which was published in November. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Um, listeners, you may have heard some of these programs. We began with an introduction to the report, followed by um, a closer look at Nigeria and then Iraq. And today we are going to have a look at Pakistan. Um, so over to you, John and John. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. And good morning, dear listeners of Radio Maria. It's a privilege to speak to you. And as Elizabeth mentioned, this is the fourth part of a series run right into the church in need acn uk uh, with my colleague john pontifex head of press and information at to the church in need and myself john candia parliamentary and press officer for aid to the church in need and this series of, of shows which started in november and will come out to the final one in a few weeks so stay tuned for that is on the new report persecuted and forgotten launched in parliament on the 17th of of november uh, last last year and the main point of the report, as my colleague will, will elaborate on, is to shine a light on ACN's mission in the world. And what is ACN's mission? Aid to the Church in Need is a pontifical foundation of the Catholic Church, supporting the Catholic faithful and other Christians where they are persecuted, oppressed, or in pastoral need. And the key objectives of Aid to the Church in Need are to advance the Christian faith by supporting and promoting the Church, particularly in countries where Christians are suffering persecution or discrimination, as the report outlines, those top 24 countries where Christians are tragically being persecuted the most, and also to further the, the charitable work of the church, for example, providing pastoral assistance uh, to the church, uh, pastoral care for people in need, and also helping on occasion refugees who are fleeing from, from war-torn countries and countries in distress. And among the things ACN does for the church worldwide, it makes grants to help fund over 5,000 projects currently, particularly in the areas of providing catechetical materials and books, broadcasting the faith, helping to build churches, supporting the training of seminarians, granting money for the formation of religious and catechists, subsidizing mass stipends and, and helping priests through various grants, and also providing emergency aid, as I mentioned, to refugees and others in dire situations. Um, so those are among the, the key tasks of aid to the church in need. And one of the, the key tasks ACN also does is research. And this report, Persecuted and Forgotten, launched in November 2022, and it runs on a two-year cycle, um, is precisely to advance the research that ACN has done, to summarize it in 144 pages, uh, some of which we'll try and go into today on Southwest Asia. And I'm going to ask John, firstly, uh, my colleague, John Pontifex, who was one of the key authors of the report, and there were a few of them, and, and he's, he's focused a number of countries where he's been to personally and I wanted to ask him today uh, why he, he wrote the report and and what the report really shows us about Christian suffering in Southwest Asia and what you can do as the church as listeners of Radio Maria to help. So, so John just firstly why, why was the report 
Britain and and at this particular time, obviously given everything going on in in Asia, uh, a number of states deteriorating, you've been yourself to a, to a few of them. Why would you say this report is is so important, and and why did you include Southwest Asia? Well, the reality is that many people uh, are not necessarily aware of the degree to which Christians suffer persecution and oppression. And in a sense, why should they know about such things in the sense that it doesn't necessarily in touch on people's lives here in the West. But nonetheless, as people of faith, people of conscience, people of goodwill, um, it, it's really important for us to to find out how it is that people of our faith in other parts of the world really do suffer for the very fact of being Christian. And uh, repeated research has indicated that uh, Christians suffer the most persecution. We go back to that key statistic from an independent, very well-respected uh, re um, Pew Research Centre, which indicated uh, yet again uh, that uh, Christians suffer harassment and worse in more countries than is the case with any other faith, and that that harassment is not only so very widespread, but it's also getting worse. And Persecuted and Forgotten, which I started as a project back in 2006 and uh, launched its most recent edition back in November, uh, asserted yet again that Unfortunately, the situation for Christians in a number of parts of the world um, have, uh, has deteriorated very markedly, and perhaps especially in in the South Asia, Southwest Asia region, where you have <clears throat> especially state authoritarianism as a, a critical factor, causing worsening oppression against Christians in uh, many parts of the region not least in India, but we also have um, uh, religious nationalism being a problem uh, both in India and Afghanistan and, of course, pa Pakistan, uh, which is the main topic. And uh, the, the period under review in Persecuted and Forgotten 2022, which covered really the period from um, uh, September, October uh, 2020, right the way through to the end of September 2022. Uh, the biggest change in that period in this region, um, of course, was the uh, capture of Afghanistan by the Taliban, which sent shockwaves throughout the region uh, as it led uh, great concern to the rise of oppression, not least against the uh, many different other forms of, of uh, Muslim groups, um, but also Christians who sadly have suffered very grievously. But it also sent uh, huge shockwaves through neighbouring Pakistan. And we know that the situation there for the country's 4 million or so Christians is especially difficult and will have been made more difficult by what happened in neighbouring Afghanistan. So, may I ask, just, may I ask John just br briefly, because you yourself have been to some of these countries, and I'm sure you'll reveal some of those anecdotes, um, what would you say was your biggest impression uh, visiting some of these countries, given everything you just mentioned about the Taliban and obviously things that we hear in the West through the news, but yourself as a first-person traveller on your trips, it'd be very good to hear just one or two anecdotes really about 
uh, your impressions uh, going to some of these countries like Pakistan and Afghanistan? Yes, well, um, I have not been to, to Afghanistan, but I've been to, to Pakistan three times and um, I have had uh, the good fortune to meet the victims, those who've survived persecution and have spent time with those who've, who've suffered and those who are providing enormous amount of help. And uh, one of those individuals that we've been supporting um, through, especially through our report, Hear Her Cries, um, is, is Farah Shaheen. Now, Farah Shaheen, uh, aged just 12, um, she was uh, kidnapped when uh, an, a Muslim man uh, essentially broke into their home, her home in Faisalabad, and um, burst in and abducted Farah, um, Farah Shaheen, and she was taken into um, into the darkness. No one knew where she'd gone, and her family begged the police to to try and find her. And initially, they refused. And um, it was not until the in December, nearly six months later, that the police discovered Farah Shaheen. Um, she was discovered. Uh, with her feet, her ankles shackled, and uh, it also with a with a rope tied round her, and uh, she later emerged that she'd been forced to um, work clearing um, manure and other debris in a neighbor, nearby cattle yard. And when she wasn't doing that, she was uh, basically um, being restrained in this way. And uh, it turned out that she had been forcibly married and to her abductor, um, and uh, she had been forcibly converted. And so Aid to the Church in Need, we were very much involved in following her case. And um, we we um, were delighted when eventually the Faisalabad Districts and Sessions Court um, was able to indicate that actually this uh, marriage had been conducted improperly uh, and that um, in fact, she was not legally married, and so she was released. And um, <clears throat> this um, is just one of the many tragic stories that we've we've had in Pakistan. And but in this case, it ended happily. And you can find out more about our Hear Her Christ report, which carries the story of Farah Shaheen, um, if you visit our website or email uh, acn at acnuk.org. Um, you will find um, you you will find more details about that report. We'll happily send that to you um, because it's a it's a critical sign of how things can be so difficult for Christians there. Before John, before you go on to to talk about other aspects of the South, Southwest Asia aspect of the report, I just wanted to ask what can listeners do to get involved. So you mentioned going onto the website acnuk.org, trying to order a copy of the report if they're interested in Pakistan, like the anecdote you just referred to there. Farah Shaheen and others, but what else can they do to help ACN's work? Well, um, very important thing that we always uh, highlight is the importance of prayer. When I've been to uh, Pakistan and visited Christians in safe houses uh, and those who've been accused falsely of blasphemy um, and who've been essentially, uh, they've had to go into hiding for fear of their lives, um, they've said to us, please, please pray for us. And um, this 
importance of prayer could not be re, re um, overstated. And the other side of it is for people to support aid to the church in need, both in terms of sharing the information about that the, the charity provides, but also in addition to that, um, to where possible support our projects in Pakistan. So we're doing a lot of work to help the church weather the, the, the problems of persecution and oppression. Um, so in Pakistan, we're very much involved in preparing the churches that are sometimes attacked, um, training catechists who are the backbone of uh, the church in Pakistan. <clears throat> and in addition to that, uh, we are supporting those like Farah Shaheen um, and others like her who have been uh, abducted uh, and who have been uh, forcibly converted uh, and who, whose family are desperate to get them back and need to go to the courts to, to get them back, and others who've been uh, found guilty of blasphemy and uh, who are languishing in jail and who need legal and paralegal support. So through the Catholic Commission for Justice and Peace and other organisations, um, we are very active in supporting these Christians uh, who, who've um, who are sadly imprisoned under false pretenses, under false um, allegations. So prayer, information and action uh, are the key watchwords that, that define the, the work of the charity and, and show why it's so important to get behind what we're doing. But before, I just want to, to ask briefly as well about the petition you're running on Nigeria before you start touching on the, the subject of Mara Shabazz, because I'm very interested to hear about that. I heard about it long before I joined ACN, and I'm sure many listeners did as well. Uh, but one of the things ACN does clearly is petitions. Uh, if you could briefly touch on that as well, how can people help ACN's petition work? Yes, yeah, so we're doing, we're running a petition um, for, uh, as part of our, our Red Wednesday um, initiative, which is shining a light on persecution and calling for action um, for those who suffer their, for their faith. So for Red Wednesday last year, we organized a petition at the behest of the Bishop of Ondo State in South Nigeria there. Um, and Bishop uh, Jude Arugandade, the Bishop of Ondo, called on us to beg the UK government to put pressure on the Nigerian government to bring to justice those responsible for an attack that took place on a church in his diocese in, in Ondo state, where um, 41 people were killed and 70 plus were injured. So this happened in June, it happened during mass, uh, Pentecost Sunday, 5th of June, 2022. And since then, uh, people have been arrested, no one charged, it happened in broad daylight uh, with um, many people witness to what happened and yet no one has been charged, no one brought to justice. And um, I was in touch with the bishop only earlier this week, and he was saying no movement in terms of arrests, charges, anything like that. So our petition is specifically, um, uh, we request that the UK government call on their Nigerian counterparts to bring to justice those responsible for genocidal attacks, such as the Pentecost Sunday 2022 massacre and countless other killings, abductions, and other atrocities. The UK government must demand the arrest and imprisonment of terrorists, the return of lands and villages, as well as the 
as compensation for the destruction of properties and livelihoods. So if you do want to get behind that petition, and we do urge you to heed Bishop Jude's call um, for, for this, please go to acnuk.org forward slash petition hyphen 2022 and you will find out how you can sign the petition and, and receive more information about the work of the charity. Thank you very much, John. And just uh, for listeners who have just tuned in, uh, John Pontifex, aid to the uh, Church in Need, Head of Press Information, just explaining the Persecuted and Forgotten Port, which has just been launched a few months ago. And the report covers Africa, Asia, and uh, the Middle East. So that's why we're referring to Nigeria there. The petition is being run on Nigeria. The theme of this show is Southwest Asia, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, Maldives. And we'll start off just by asking about Pakistan, one of the, the key critical countries in the report, which has been noted for deteriorating conditions for the 4 million Christians living in the country. They just form just 2% of the overall population of the country. John himself has been to Pakistan, as he mentioned, three times. And there's some very interesting stories to tell us. Um, one of the most high-profile cases to come out of Pakistan was that of Asia Bibi, which I believe was resolved successfully a few years ago. Um, John could correct me on that, if not. And then Myra Shabazz as well as an ongoing case the ACN are trying to help with. John, could you briefly explain the situation of Myra, uh, this poor girl from Pakistan, and what it tells us about the general situation facing Pakistan's Christians? Yes, well, Myra Shabazz was uh, walking very close to her home in Medina town, uh, just just a little bit outside Faisalabad in the Punjab province of Pakistan. She was walking near her home there when three men uh, pulled up in a in a car and um, uh, dragged her off the street, bundled her into the back of the car and drove off at speed, firing guns into the air as they left. And um, the the family were notified by bystanders that, that Mara had been abducted and went straight to the police. Um, and the, the the search began to find Myra, where'd she gone, who'd taken her, and uh, how to get her back. And a few days later, it emerged that the man who'd led this this capture of of Myra um, uh, described that they the two were married, that he was married to Myra, uh, and this man Nakash um, <clears throat> had demanded that. Um, they be allowed to settle down as man and wife, even though Mara is just 14 years of age, or at least she was at the time in April 2020 when this happened. And um, we at Aid to the Church in Need were informed about this, and so began uh, the process of working with the authorities, um, the church authorities in Pakistan. And um, we we discovered that uh, over a period of time, reports emerged from Pakistan uh, to show that Mara had been uh, drugged uh, and that she had been blackmailed and uh, as all part of her, the, the, this desperate effort to get her to, to accept her new life, married to a man 30 years her senior. And eventually, with the family, struggled with the courts. But uh, in August 2020, the Lahore High Court ruled that they were legally married and, and that essentially Mara should uh, get on with her new life with this man who had basically imprisoned her in his home. And even though there was a birth certificate to show Mara 
was indeed 14 at the time. And the law in, in the Punjab clearly states that those women or girls under 16 uh, cannot be legally married. So the Lahore High Court Act acted in flagrant disregard of that law. Anyhow, two weeks after that, Mara managed to escape. And he, the abductor, Mr. Nakash, uh, immediately accused her of apostasy. And that meant Mara was forced into hiding. And thus began a campaign that Aid to the Church need launched, recognizing reports that, um, that people were going from house to house looking for Mara, uh, wanting essentially to either abduct her or indeed kill her or her family. So she um, uh, was in hiding in one room and was there 24-7. And we called on the UK government to provide asylum, um, recognising that this case was not likely to be resolved internally, um, that Mara would not be able to rejoin society uh, safely. And so we uh, called on Boris Johnson, who had supported the case of Asya Bibi, who you mentioned, John, um, had been in de on death row and had eventually been uh, granted asylum <clears throat> after an intervention by the Supreme Court and went to start a new life with her family in, in Canada. But we begged uh, Boris Johnson, then Prime Minister, to do the same for Mara. And we had a petition with 12,000 signatures, which we um, passed to him in February the following year. Um, and then since then, we have been asking the government to uh, review this petition and to really act to save Mara Shabazz. But unfortunately, the government have failed to act. Uh, nothing has happened for Mara, despite constant probings on our part, uh, questions raised in Parliament and um, expressions of sympathy by the then uh, um, Home Secretary uh, <clears throat> Priti Patel. So we are still fighting that campaign. I was in touch with Mara only this morning um, and uh, we're very, very concerned that unless she gets asylum, her life will be a shadow of what it could be. And, uh, you know, we need to send a very clear signal to Pakistan that this is not the way to behave. There are many, many, many girls suffering in this way and in fact, uh, we we understand that up to a thousand girls from Hindu and Christian backgrounds suffer this process of um, a forced conversion, forced marriage, sexual violence every year. So this has got to stop. And you um, yourself, you yourself have, have been on the phone to a number of them tr trying to help them. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, the situation is such that they have to remain in one place. Is that right? For a, a long amount of time, they can't be walking around freely because obviously they're known in the local area. So it's not that they're necessarily kind of living a normal life during this waiting period for a visa. No, they are holed up either in, in places of, uh, of, of absolutely away from, from the public eye and are really living in very squalid conditions, um, or indeed they're in a safe house provided by the church, and they're terrified because they, uh, how how do they move forward from this situation, and will their family be safe? How how can they expect to build a new life in this circum these circumstances? So, the um, 
the the problem is that if you have a blasphemy uh, allegation or an apostasy allegation set against you, your life immediately comes to a shuddering halt and you live in complete fear of what might just happen to you. And that's the, the hold that these um, accusers have over their, their victims. Thank you so much, John and John. We've been hearing there from John Pontifex, Head of Press and Information at ACN, Aid to the Church in Need, about his own personal experiences uh, with those victims in Pakistan and elsewhere. And I think it's a good moment for a music break and um, have a very appropriate song. When I Needed a Neighbour, I think uh, John has shown himself to be an extraordinary neighbour uh, to Myra and others. You are listening to Radio Maria. This is Just Life and we're joined by ACN, Aid to the Church in Need. And we've been hearing from John Pontifex, Head of Press and Information at ACN about ACN's work in Pakistan. Only this morning he spoke to Myra, a girl who is in hiding in fear for her life in Pakistan and um, back over to you, John, and John Candia, who is asking John the questions this morning. Thank you, Elizabeth. And I'm asking them because I've, my, I myself have never been to Pakistan uh, and, and that part of the world. But my colleague, John Pontevex has, and he has some very interesting stories to tell. He's been helping a number of the highest profile cases, a number of most famous people to, to, to have been in Pakistan suffering persecution um, for their Christian faith the truth of the gospel. And I just wanted to ask John, because obviously this subject, and not just in Pakistan, but across the world can be a very dire and and critical thing to talk about, and sometimes very negative, if you don't look at it through supernatural eyes. Uh, but there are obviously stories of hope as well, both uh, spiritually, supernaturally, but also uh, on the on the ground that we're seeing in Pakistan, that eight of the church you need is funding. One of those stories of hope is a, a national commission for justice and peace that has been set up with ACN grants uh, by project partners in Pakistan, locals on the ground who know what the money needs to be spent on and how it needs to be spent. So 
I'd, I'd like to ask you, John, what has the NCJP been doing? Why was it set up? And what else can you see in Pakistan as a sign of hope for the, the near future? So the National or Catholic Commission for Justice and Peace, which is based in Johannabad, the Christian district or largely Christian district of Lahore, was set up um, as an initiative of the Catholic Bishops Conference of Pakistan in response really to uh, a number of uh, pieces of legislation that were passed in the preceding uh, few years, um, which essentially meant that it was much more likely uh, that Christians and other minorities uh, would uh, suffer accusations of, of blasphemy. There were two uh, changes to the Pakistan Penal Code, 295B and 295C, uh, which meant uh, that it was um, a crime punishable by death uh, or by life imprisonment to blaspheme against the name of the prophet or indeed to damage or desecrate any piece of uh, page or of text containing a verse of the Quran. So this meant that there was a sudden wave of uh, people being accused of, of blasphemy and uh, the situation became extremely toxic very quickly and the situation has not abated. And Aid to the Church in Need has worked with the Catholic Commission for Justice and Peace uh, for many years and it has deepened that commitment, recognizing the work that they do as critical in saving the lives of many people who are uh, unfortunately at risk of being uh, uh, sent to prison and their life wasting away in Pakistan's prison system uh, for crimes they've almost certainly never committed. And um, we have worked with a number of cases, but one particular that stands out in, in November 2015, I went to Pakistan and went to Johannabad, past the offices of uh, the, the NCJP, Justice and Peace Commission, and we went to the very church where earlier that same year there had been uh, a, a bomb blast and it took place during, during mass and uh, uh, there were a number of people who were accused of incitement um, that led to following this, this blast. And uh, they were then uh, put in in jail, and uh, the the NCJP began a strong campaign to get them off. And eventually, they succeeded. in In January 2020, um, the 40 men jailed for alleged involvement in the lynching of two people uh, following the uh, Yohannabad Church bombing were were released and it was clear uh, as a result of that intervention on appeal uh, that they were not responsible they got the wrong people and um, they were were released and uh, this was the direct result of the NCA, NCJP's endeavors and uh, we spoke at that time I remember vividly speaking to Father Manny Youssef the director of the NCJP and he, he said to us that day, uh, this is just wonderful news for Pakistan and people have been praying day in, day out, and eventually uh, it's it's come good. So um, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a rare um, gleam of light that, that shines in a situation of characterized by great darkness. 
Um, and there are a number of other cases that, that show this great uh, courage and determination of the NCJP uh, and why it's so important for aid to the church need to continue supporting it. Thank you, John. And it sounds like a, a necessary work in a country where justice, I'm sure, comes at a premium. Um, and I just wanted to ask you about one of the the most feared terrorist organizations in the world, not that you've had any personal dealings with them, but just through your research and ACN's research more widely, who works prominently in this area. Um, and But before I get onto that, I'll come back to them later, I just wanted to switch attention to, to Afghanistan, uh, which is a country that is, is so unknown to the, the rest of the world, particularly us in the West. And what struck me when reading the report was that Afghanistan, among all the 24 countries mentioned, by ACN and heavily researched, Afghanistan was one of the, the few, if any, uh, where the number of Christians could not be confirmed. There was no data, or very little data, on the, the exact number of Christians in the country rounded up or down to the nearest thousand or nearest million. It just, uh, the figure is given 1,000 to 20,000 Christians in the country, most of whom are obviously converts. And uh, the population of Afghanistan being 38 million, uh, there are only 0.1% um, of other faiths than Islam. So the number of Christians that are within that 0.1% are, are unknown to us. And we've had the privilege over the last few weeks to be speaking to a, a Christian from Afghanistan. And this is one of the biggest honors of my work for ACN. And I'm sure John would agree that we get the chance to speak firsthand to Christians who are suffering for their faith, the truth of the gospel in countries uh, that are so hostile to it that they can barely even leave their house without fear of, of some form of, of punishment, whether it's execution in the, in the worst cases or imprisonment, or as, as John referred to earlier, in Pakistan often happens to young girls, abduction and forced conversion and forced marriage. But in the case of Afghanistan, this Christian we've been speaking to is called Bashir, and he has a very interesting story. Uh, he's, he's fleeing from the Taliban who killed his, his father, brother and uncle, and who, who they all work for the military, so his family was fairly well known in Afghanistan. And for a number of reasons we, of confidentiality, we can't disclose all the information about him. But all I can say is he's due to be deported this month from Pakistan, where he's fled to when he was running from the, the Taliban. And the Pakistan government has not been very helpful in extending his visa, which ran out, I believe, eight months ago. We've been trying to help to extend his visa from the UK or to even pressure the government to offer him a visa. Um, and two months ago, he suffered a knife attack on his life. And following the attack, he told us personally he was terrified and he said Pakistan is not a safe country for converted Christians and this chimes with one of the, the key lines of the report section on Afghanistan which quotes a, a spokesman from I believe the, the Taliban who said this he said there are no Christians in Afghanistan the Christian minority has never been known or registered here and then explains the tragically low, low number of Christians in the country many of whom are hoping to get out of the country and the situation as John referred to earlier has deteriorated the Taliban takeover of the country and uh, Christians have been reported uh, to have, have all kinds of, of, of attacks on them and, and other things but we, we just don't know the, the data at the moment um, and in the case of Bashir it's a very interesting example to us because he's someone who's escaped from Afghanistan who's come to Pakistan but he's found that Pakistan has been almost as hostile to him as his, as his, as his home country so we're dealing with a part of the world where fleeing from your own country is far from a guarantee of, of, of finding safety to, to live your life uh, and to, to express your faith in Christ. Um, and so Bashir, who's lacking money for food and rent, he survived 
since arriving in Pakistan last December 2021, a whole year and a month ago, by basically begging for his needs, by by imploring people for money to to, to get the rent covered. And he's desperate to share his story with the West. And he represents just one of millions of Christians struggling in the countries of Afghanistan and Pakistan. And the interesting fact about Bashir is that even though he formally converted to Christianity in 2017, so that's a whole five years ago, he was a believer since his childhood. And only his mother knew this. And she respected his freedom to believe in uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, but was worried for his future and security in the country of, of Afghanistan, where all of his family were Muslim and until their death when the Taliban killed them for working in the in the Afghan army. And his mother, who remains a Muslim, is still in Afghanistan. His his sister as well, I believe, is, is in Afghanistan. Her husband was killed, but she is she has fled and is somewhere in the country. Uh, and he has very little contact with them, if any. Um, and his Christianity, as well as his family's history of being in the Afghan army, which is opposed to the Taliban, makes him a particular target for this terrorist group. And so we're, we're keeping tabs on Bashir. We're trying to help him as best we can. And we appreciate your help for that. Anything you can do to help, please get in touch with us. You'll find all our contact details, acnuk.org. And any suggestions you have, either data about Afghanistan, the country, we may be able to help uh, people. Please do give your support. It's very much appreciated. Um, and as I mentioned there, in Afghanistan, over 99.9% .9 of the country's 38 million citizens are Muslim. Um, so it's incredibly difficult for, for any Christians in the country, especially given the now a Taliban takeover of the country. But just on that subject, uh, John, I wanted to ask from your, your research into this area, I know you haven't been to Afghanistan, of course you've been to Pakistan, but the situation with the Taliban in this part of the world, some people have suggested that it's receded or that it's been localized to a particular area. Um, could, do you have any suggestions on that? Uh, any thoughts as to the, the extent of Taliban influence in, in Southwest Asia and the effect it has on Christians? Has that receded, would you say? I would say all the evidence points to the contrary, that in fact, um, the influence of the Taliban um, is, is very, very considerable. And when I went to Pakistan uh, all those years ago, back in 2006, I remember uh, concerns that the Taliban were, uh, were present very much in parts of the country. And uh, the, the Pakistan version of the Taliban are very, very present. And... Uh, when I went most recently to Pakistan, we went to um, a district of Karachi where uh, Taliban groups had been uh, uh, reportedly uh, relocated um, and they had been creating uh, a lot of difficulties for uh, that particular district of Karachi where many Christians were living. And we went to that district, we visited it one afternoon towards the end of our trip there and um, we were told how uh, the, the local people there had actually had to erect a barrier in the street to prevent the Taliban groups from coming in. And uh, the, the, the Christian district uh, had been walled off uh, for safety reasons because uh, improvised missiles um, had been uh, lobbed over the walls into their schools, into their churches, and the whole community felt very frightened and there was um, uh, a case in the court um, for the barrier uh, separating, protecting in effect the Christian community there to be taken down. So uh, we know that the Taliban influence um, continues to be present not just in, in Pakistan 
uh, but but elsewhere in the region. And um, I suppose that that's exactly why, John, in, in the report, it mentions very specifically the fact that um, in the Church in his recent persecuted and forgotten report, it said that Pakistan has experienced a cycle of growing concern for Christians in the region and that Christians who remain in Afghanistan live in fear of arrest, torture and, and execution. So I suppose that chimes with exactly what you're saying there um, just before we head into a music break. That's it. And we urgently need to keep in mind the way in which uh, the Taliban are uh, provide a rallying call to many extremist Muslims and call on them to to really uh, step up their their commitment to a version of Islam which is by its nature very intolerant and that is something that's caused a lot of fear among minority groups not just Christians but Hindus and Sikhs and other uh, forms of Muslims as well people who follow different versions of Islam thank you so much John um, John Pontifex as John Candia says let's have another music break. I certainly have a few questions for um, ACN this morning. And if you do, or if you would like to comment on this program, please don't hesitate to call in. We'd love to hear from you. The number is 01-223-375-564. You can call in during the music break, 01-223-375-564, on-air studio live number. And let's listen to Yet Not I, but through Christ in me. What gift of grace is Jesus my is just life and we're joined this morning by ACN John Pontifex has been telling us about persecuted Christians in Asia and I have Tim here in the studio and he has a question for you John <laughs> yes um, hello thank you so much for your talk this far um, we received in um, here at Radio Maria uh, somebody who was asking a question um, they sent us some disturbing news about 
a uh, protest that happened in India in the state of Chhattisgarh where a church was um, uh, about a thousand people came upon this church and have uh, vandalized it and I just wanted to know what what is the situation with the church in in India um, and does ACN have a presence there and could you give us some kind of um, understanding as to why things like this are happening or is it maybe being a little bit blown out of proportion? Can we believe these reports that we're hearing? Um, I just thought I'd, I, I'd ask about that particular situation. Yeah, and thank you very much indeed, Tim, for asking this because uh, we need to draw out in our survey on the situation for Christians uh, in Southwest uh, in in uh, Asia, that India is among those countries where the situation is is particularly deteriorated. In fact, in our persecuted and forgotten report, um, we found evidence to show a, a marked, very very drastic decline. According to the United Christian Forum of Human Rights, uh, there were 505 incidents of violence and hate um, directed against Christians and others in 2021 which was up from 279 uh, the previous year. And uh, in a statistic for the first seven months of 2022, uh, there were 302 uh, incidents of violence. And your um, incident there is in the context of um, great concerns about what's happening uh, in the northern part of India, especially. So um, Chhattisgarh, um, there were 90 incidents, 90 cases of violence in 2021, which was the second highest in the, the region behind Uttar Pradesh. So what we understand is that many of these attacks are driven by allegations of conversion and anti-conversion laws play a huge part in this because, of course, 10 states in India have passed or updated laws um, prohibiting religious conversion uh, by deception or force. And Uttar Pradesh is, of course, one of those that have recently um, passed or introduced anti-conversion laws. And what we're seeing is that um, there is a growing uh, social hostility to, to Christians and what we call a religious nationalism, an ethno-religious nationalism, which says that in this case, to be Indian is to be Hindu, that the uh, Hindu faith and the uh, Indian nation, the Indian state, are, are one, and that Christians and others are potentially, because they're not Hindu, uh, to be to be held in suspicion as uh, undermining the, the concept, the ideals, uh, in this case, the religion of the nation state. So um, we we know that what's really driving a lot of this is that um, Hindus are <clears throat> are obviously the majority at eighty percent, but they've actually the numbers have have, have, have proportionally speaking have have declined, um, and there is a sort of fear uh, or or neurotic fear uh, that Hindus are on the way to being outnumbered in India. 
And uh, this is the rallying cry of some of these Hindu Dutva militant groups, uh, especially the RSS, um, who, who describe what they call the unnatural growth of the country's Christian and Muslim populations. So there is a great sense in which, um, you know, really Christians and Muslims are not only outsiders, but they are a threat to the nation state. Is there some extent as well, John, before we go on to Elizabeth's question, that that also applies in, in Sri Lanka? I noted in the report uh, the, the fact that uh, Buddhism is, is, is the predominant religion in Sri Lanka and that Christians often face all kinds of, of death threats from Buddhists uh, for converting from Buddhist faith and also um, marginalization from society and other such things. Um, and could that also be applied presumably to, to other parts of Southwest Asia? Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing uh, a rise of what we call ethno-religious uh, nationalism uh, in many, many parts of, of, of the region. Uh, as um, the as politicians look for some means of, of rallying the people together and uh, a movement of popularism has inevitably um, invoked uh, some sense of, of fear around uh, religion. And uh, Christians are seen as Western, they're seen as foreign, they're seen uh, as Latter-day Crusaders in some instances, uh, even though there's absolutely no grounds to suggest that applies in any way, uh, especially to that region. Um, and yet uh, the, the, the church in India, and it's very important to say this, the church in India, and indeed in Sri Lanka, very, very old, but, but especially in India, where, of course, uh, St. Thomas, um, the apostle, is uh, understood to have uh, found his way to India. Um, uh, and uh, when we went to, to Chennai in 2008, uh, uh, we were able to go to, to, the, to his grave, to his memorial there uh, in Chennai. Um, and he, of course, um, means that the, the church, his presence means that the church there in India dates back to earliest, earliest times and has every right to be seen as part of the uh, indigenous community. I just wanted to, to quickly touch as well upon uh, the, the Sri Lanka bombing. There was a very famous incident, or infamous, I should say, on Easter Day 2019, where um, a church, uh, I believe a Catholic church, was bombed. Uh, with 269 people killed, uh, a tragic figure, and, and more than 100 injured. Um, and the interesting thing about this incident is that it wasn't simply the terrorists who were implicated in this. It was that, as, as a report noted recently, and as a, a Catholic cardinal repeated in March 2022, he told ACN, he said that Parliament's Select Committee report makes recommendations against the former president, former inspector general of police, former defence secretary, former chief of intelligence, and other top-level officials for not having prevented attacks. And he goes on to say, they knew beforehand from information they had gathered and also from the warnings given by Indian intelligence services that they did nothing. In fact, the government seems to have done its best to prevent the arrest of the attackers. And I thought that sums up precisely the situation Christians are facing in countries like Sri Lanka and India, where not only are they facing pressure from family and friends to, to convert to the predominant faith, the Hindu or Buddhist faith, but also from state officials. And it seems that they don't have, as you referred to in Pakistan, the state on their side. And that stretches all the way to Sri Lanka and also to the Maldives, where despite uh, being known as a famous international tourist destination, um, it's far away from all those glitzy hotels. Uh, Christians suffer some of the most severe persecution for their faith. And every aspect of their lives, as the report notes on Maldives, is so heavily restricted 
they're largely forced underground and that being a Christian in Maldives is so dangerous that often they don't even tell their family and friends. And again, like in Afghanistan, it's one of those only two or three countries in the full 24 countries covered in the report where the Christian population is unknown for Maldives. Uh, there's simply no reliable data. So I just wanted to, to make that point there on the situation facing Christians in Southwest, Southwest Asia. Thank you. That was very informative. I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, um, John and John. We're running out of time, but uh, perhaps I could just give you my two questions in one. Um, John, uh, in the face of so much um, suffering and, as the report points out, a worsening situation, uh, you know, how do you work on a day-to-day -day basis? How do you keep hope um, and motivation um, for your very important work? But it must be... Um, quite hard sometimes to stay positive. And also, I know that Pope Benedict had a particular uh, relationship with ACN. And indeed, this coming Monday, um, you are holding a requiem mass for Pope Benedict at Farm Street Church in London. And Radio Maria will be broadcasting it. So if you could just uh, a final word about Pope Benedict. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, because um, this is a re really important question, because listening to these stories, uh, going to the countries firsthand uh, and seeing uh, these situations it can be uh, deeply uh, agonizing experience. I remember uh, going to India uh, in 2008 and going to Kandamal, a district in what is now Odisha, where uh, there had been what was later called a pogrom by Hindutva extremists who laid waste to uh, this, this largely Christian region, district, rural district, where churches had been burnt, people's homes had been torched, uh, and there was a campaign of intimidation that had forced 50,000 or more um, Christians out of that area where they'd lived for many years perfectly peaceably. And we were able to enter that region, uh, that district of Kantamal, and we met people who'd lost everything. And uh, they broke down in tears as they described what had happened uh, to them and the, the families that had been lost. And uh, we, we talked uh, to the nuns who had lost one of their community uh, as a result of um, a rape that had taken place against the sister. Uh, and um, this, th these things are very harrowing. But it's the courage and the faith of the people themselves that um, really give us hope. And I remember when we had Cardinal Joseph Coutts of, uh, of Karachi, Archbishop of Karachi, when he came to the UK and addressed the supporters of Aid to the Church Need at Westminster Cathedral Hall, his, uh, he was asked the same question and he said, well, it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. So when I um, go to pray each day, I'm very uh, minded to, to light, physically light a candle, um, especially in these dark evenings, uh, as a sign of the power of Christ's victory of light over darkness, uh, which was one at great cost to him personally, Gave, made the ultimate sacrifice, but which is a victory won for all time. And um, those of us who follow him know that we are partakers in that victory. So this is our faith and we're proud to profess it. Um, and 
Elizabeth, you quite like rightly mentioned the upcoming um, mass for Pope Benedict, which Aid to the Church in Eda is organising. Um, this is a wonderful opportunity for us at Aid to the Church in Need to reflect and to give thanks uh, to God for the life and ministry of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, who had uh, no no uh, um, who was totally unabashed in announcing his uh, long-standing support for Aid to the Church in Need, which he'd known for many years. Aid to the Church in Need has its base in Germany, and um, he, of course, is very much a German uh, himself from Bavaria. So he loved Aid to the Church in Need deeply, and uh, he said some very powerful things about the charity uh, that many people see, uh, he said, uh, that charity should be about social endeavour, reaching out to the poor, reaching out to the marginalised, and so it should. Um, but he said that people's many many people have this idea that it should not be about uh, religion in any way. But he said the greatest gift that you could give to somebody is to encourage them in the Christian faith and to help them to receive the good news, which is um, specifically the charism of aid to the church in need. And for that reason, he he really supported us. And he it was he who raised aid to the church in need to the status of a pontifical foundation, which meant that we were more directly under, uh, under papal authority. And um, so we feel greatly empowered by by his words of wisdom, by his personal support, and by his institutional support. And um, it was he who requested that we prioritise help for the Middle East at a time when the situation there was becoming especially difficult. Um, and so this mass that's taking place uh, is, is a very important uh, time for us. Um, it's taking place, as, as Elizabeth mentioned, uh, in Farm Street Church, uh, and it is um, taking place on Monday at 6 p.m. and we will have a full sung mass with Father Dominic Robinson, who, uh, quite apart from being the parish priest of Farm Street, is in addition uh, the ecclesiastical assistant, national ecclesiastical assistant, uh, stroke chaplain uh, for Aid to the Church in the UK, and will be presiding at that mass. And so do come along. Um, as I say, Monday the 16th of January at 6 p.m. It's being live streamed. You can go to the um, Farm Street uh, uh, live stream page if you can't attend in person, but it would be lovely to see you there if at all possible. Amen. If I might just add there, Elizabeth, as well, in two weeks' time, we have the final episode, I believe, um, on on a fascinating subject, persecution of Christians in, in one of the least known places in the world. It's China, North Korea, Vietnam, and Burma. So please tune in for that in two weeks' time, I believe, on Thursday the 26th of January, 10 a.m. Thank you. That That is correct. So please do join ACN either in person at Farm Street Church, Mayfair, London on Monday at 6 p.m. or listen in to Radio Maria. We will be streaming that mass and two weeks time today at this time. Thank you so much, John Candia and John Pontifex.